Uh, if you've got your Bibles, find Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2, and we're looking at uh, the story of these magi. Thank you for standing as we open our Bibles. We're going to look at what they remind redeeming Christmas. You know, we, we have talked about redeeming uh, symbols like how to take the candy cane and share the gospel and the story of the shepherds, and, and that story we've um, taken time to, to look at the Christmas tree and uh, is, should Christians even have a Christmas tree in their home? And well, we obviously do here in the church, but how can we redeem and make that part of our message a, a way to share the gospel? And what about gift giving? What's the significance of that? Now, I think this it, Christmas is so commercialized, we focus on all the wrong aspects of giving sometimes. But I think there's a way we can redeem that tradition to use it to talk to our kids and grandkids and those around us about what Christmas truly means. So if you found your place, Matthew chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written. We read this out of Micah this morning. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, or by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, that's key there. Remember, this is, we have the wise men in our nativity scenes, but this is a little bit later. Jesus is now in a house, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, Not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Father, we pray that you would help us to take every moment that we can and not only enjoy this season and the celebration of our Savior's birth, but to remind our families and friends and all those around us of the true meaning of the season. Lord, even the traditions we enjoy that can seem so secularized remind us of how we can take those traditions and rather than just throwing them out and perhaps sometimes having a false piety about us or thinking that we've done some good work that makes us more impressive in our faith than others, help us to just enjoy the season and redeem the object lessons and use them to tell people about Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You can be seated. 
there's a story that's been told in a, a variety of ways, and so I'll put a different uh, twist than maybe some of you have heard on this story. Uh, the story's told of an atheist who kind of enjoyed nature. He actually kind of worshipped nature because he didn't believe in a God, or at least he said he didn't believe in a God. But he was out taking a nature walk one day, and he, he, he walked by a river, enjoyed seeing that river flow, and, and he saw the wind blowing through the trees, and he just thought about how, how magnificent nature is, not recognizing it as God's creation. And about this time as he was taking this walk, a mountain lion came out upon him and had him trapped kind of uh, in front of some rapids in, in, in a difficult spot. He couldn't get away from this mountain lion. This mountain lion was about to attack when this atheist cried out, Oh, God, help me. And the legend says that everything froze. The river quit flowing. The trees quit blowing. And for a moment in time, God spoke from heaven and said, I thought you didn't believe in me. And he said, oh, I don't want to be a religious person. I don't want to be a person of faith. And he says, well, I was about to give you a request. What is your request? And he said, well, I, I, you know, I don't want to have to acknowledge you. I don't want to have to become a religious person. I don't want to have to become a person of faith. But, but if you could make that mountain lion a Christian, I sure would appreciate it. And so God said, well, I'm going to give you an answer to your prayer. You don't have to become religious, but I'll make the mountain lion religious. I'll make the mountain lion a, a Christian. It'll be a believer. And so God sent everything back into motion. The man was still standing there paralyzed with fear, and the mountain lion approached him and then bowed his head and prayed and said, Lord, I thank you for this food that I'm about to partake. <laughs> You know, sometimes there are those who would say that they are skeptics and cynics and that they don't believe until they get to a place where they really reveal that they, they think religion is good for humanity. They think it's good for everybody else to have uh, wonderful stories to tell, especially if it makes them treat them better. Sometimes there are skeptics and cynics like Herod himself who will attack the message until he fears that it's the message that ultimately could do him in. And sometimes that becomes a motivation for attack. When we get to Matthew's gospel, after there had been 400 silent years, Hebrew scholars agree that the Messiah who was prophesied, the Hebrew scholars during that time looked forward to him being born actually in Bethlehem. This was not something that Herod even wanted to think about. He knew, you know, he was kind of representing the Roman government on one hand, and at the same time he represented the Jewish people where he was ruling. And, and he knew that if Messiah came, and, and sometimes the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament prophecies are, are kind of blended together, speaking of the, the Jewish timeline in history and so he, he was afraid that that Messiah would be someone who would do him in if he were to come on the scene in his lifetime. Herod really had nothing to worry about. He would die shortly after, this Herod would die shortly after the birth of Christ. There are many people that, like Herod, the, they think of the second coming the way Herod would have thought of the first coming. Is, is if Jesus comes, 
will he do me in? I don't want him to come in my lifetime is the fear that someone cry out. So I'd rather just kind of attack the message and say, man, there's no way he's real. There's no way that he is coming. I'd rather not believe in God than to know that he might mess up my plans, that he might mess up my kingdom. This Herod was known for ruthlessly executing justice on those who lived during this time. He was known for his love for the luxurious and the grandiose. He was one who went about doing great construction and most notable of all the things that Herod built during his reign was the temple. And so Herod's temple was so magnificent. Even his palace paled in comparison to Herod's temple. And so the Jews of this day kind of liked Herod, even though they might have feared him in some ways. They didn't want anybody to kind of mess with him because he had brought some things into play, uh, namely the temple in Jerusalem. And so the religious Jews of this day were kind of pleased with the status quo. They didn't want somebody coming in, bringing a message that might mess things up. And the story of Jesus would turn the world upside down. The birth of our Lord The one that we look back, even when we do calendars, even though it may be off a couple of years, even when we do our calendar today and we say today is the year 2018, what are we saying? We're saying it is 2018 years counting from the birth of Christ. And so history hinges on the birth of Christ. I want us to make a couple of observations. And as we think about this reminder of the Magi, this story in Matthew chapter 2, I want us to think about when we give and receive gifts, is there a redemptive message in all of that? Is there a story we need to tell? Do we need to explain to our children and grandchildren that the greatest gift ever given was Jesus Christ and the greatest gift we can give, like Mr. Donnie demonstrated this morning, the greatest gift we can give is the giving of ourselves to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember these two truths in that process. Number one, I want you to see the futility of those who attack that message. The futility of those who attack the message. We read in verses 2 and 3 a moment ago that when these wise men came, they were asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. King Herod was deeply disturbed by this in all of Jerusalem. Herod was attacking a message. He was disturbed by a message that, quite honestly, he didn't even fully understand. That this gift of a Messiah was of no threat to his earthly kingdom. This Messiah would establish a kingdom in the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls who would put their faith and trust in him. And even Herod was a sinner in need of a Savior that God would so love the world that he gave his only son. We know John 3:16, but do you know John 17? God did not John 3:17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what? Through the through him the world might be saved. He was a savior of the world. And if anybody was in need of a savior like all of us, Herod was in need of a savior. I believe there are so many people attacking the message of Jesus Christ today because they simply don't understand the message. They don't understand the good news. What gets me in this text, and and honestly, so many times that I've read this and taught this and preached this, 
what gets me in this passage that I never really pause to think about, it says, and all Jerusalem with him. And I'm thinking, well, I can understand why Herod would be upset, because this is about maybe to rock his world. But what about all of Jerusalem? This is the, the, the seat of the, the Jewish faith. This is where the people who had been longing for Messiah should be looking forward to his coming. And yet all of Jerusalem, this religious people who were going about their rituals looking forward to the coming of Messiah, they were disturbed. It could be for a number of reasons. Remember, they liked the peace that they were experiencing. You've heard in your history classes and world history of Pax Romana, uh, the period of Roman peace. It was, there was relative peace at this time, and it's kind of like, well, you know, we're getting along, they're getting along, nobody's at war right now, we, we, don't rock the boat, don't come in here, uh, don't come in here and shake things up because things are good. Christianity would threaten that because Christ followers would not bow to Caesar and worship him as God. They would say not that Caesar is curious. They would say, Jesus curious. Jesus is Lord. And they wouldn't back away from that message. And while they would pay taxes and they would do the things that they were supposed to do, as Jesus told them, to live at peace with all men and to honor the government powers that be, they still would not bow down and say, Caesar is Lord. And so that would shake things up and cause problems in the Roman Empire. And perhaps the Jews at this time were not ready for there to be a little uproar, if you will. Perhaps they also saw an entourage that would have been escorting these wise men, these magi. You know, who were they? What were they all about? Were they coming to cause a problem? So maybe they were not at peace And they could even back Herod up in attacking the message. But the attacks on the message would not destroy the message itself. There is futility no matter how much you reject the truth that doesn't change the truth from being the truth. And Isaiah 40 and verse 8, it says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah would begin to prophesy concerning a better kingdom when the Messiah would come and establish his reign. All attack against that truth, either the first advent where he would set himself, uh, where Jesus would become the king of the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls, of those who would follow him, or the second coming of Christ where Jesus will establish peace on earth for a thousand-year reign before he ushers in eternity Whichever way you begin to read those prophecies, any rejection of that truth would not destroy the truth. The truth will still stand. Now, here's the danger, though. Attacking the message can destroy you and others. Those who reject the message of the the coming of Christ, that God became man, that, that Jesus Christ lived in the flesh, John would later write, in his letters that this is the spirit of Antichrist. You know, Jesus said those who aren't against us are for us. But you can also say those who aren't for Christ are Antichrist. And he said the spirit of 
Antichrist throughout the church age is already here, those who are rejecting and attacking the message. And they're not going to destroy the message, but unfortunately, and I'm sad to say today, that they can destroy their own lives, they can hurt their own families, they can jeopardize eternity for their children and grandchildren by attacking the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The literal virgin birth, the sinless life, the fact that he died on the cross in our place and rose again to live forevermore. They were attacking the message. Herod wanted to attack the message. And he would, in the process of attacking the message, hurt others. As you continue to read in this passage, in chapter 2, verse 16, Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the male children in the land around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Remember, the wise men didn't show up on the day of Christ's birth. They came into the house there in Bethlehem where Mary and Joseph sometime later had been established for a period of time while they recovered and prepared for life with this new infant son of God. So the message is being attacked and now lives are being destroyed. Children are being killed because the message had been attacked by Herod. When we attack the message of Jesus Christ, or when others attack the message of Jesus Christ, they're not hurting the message, but they are hurting themselves. And they are hurting the people around them that hear the attack. I remember hearing about a longhorn bull that was out in a pasture over a century ago when the, the trains first came through and this, uh, the, there was no fence to keep the bulls off the tracks. That's why they used to have the little cow catcher there on the front of the train. And this bull got tired of that train coming through and with its steam engine and with its loud whistle always interrupting his day. And so one day that bull said, I'm going to attack that train. I'm going to put an end to this. And so he went out and when the train came, he got on the tracks and he kicked up his heels, and he lowered his shoulders, and he lowered those horns, and he hit that train head on. And I mean, it was nothing but, but ground beef and cube steak left of him. And the engineer finally got the train stopped, and he got out, and he kind of scraped the bull off the cow catcher there and got him over to the side, and then they said the engineer took his hat off and put it over his heart, looked at the bull, and he said, well, bull, I have to admit, I admire your courage, but I question your judgment. There are so many people that will attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. They say, I don't want to hear the message. Not because the message contradicts itself, but because the message contradicts their life. And they say, I don't want to hear the message of the Savior. And that gospel train, which should be their salvation, becomes what they attack, and it ends up hurting themselves and no one else. Remember, we used to listen to our kids sing that song, The Gospel Train's Coming, I Hear It Close at Hand. I hear those car wheels rumbling and rolling through the land. Get on board, little children, get on board. There's room for many a more. And while we're giving that message, Jesus has come, the gospel train is here, and we need to get on board. There are other people that are getting on the tracks and trying to stop it, and they will be futile in their efforts every time. Second thing I want you to remember is that the faith of those who adore the Messiah are illustrated in these gifts. The magi, the wise men, 
Now, there are a couple of translations that actually do not translate it wise men because in the Greek there, it uses the word magos. And so we have a uh, transliteration sometimes, the magi, the plural of magos. It, it, it's, a, it's a Greek translation that reminds us that these were not necessarily kings, even though it's okay if you want to sing We Three Kings of Orient. They were likely Zoroastrian astrologers and magicians. They were seekers, if you will, who didn't understand everything that they were seeing, but they had likely studied Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel concerning when Messiah would be born. And if you go back and you look at Daniel's timeline of the four kingdoms that would exist up until the coming of Messiah, Daniel nails down when Messiah is supposed to come on the scene. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar had appointed Daniel. We read this in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel was made the chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and the diviners when he was where? In captivity in Babylon in the east. And so now these magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners, having had a word from Daniel's prophecy, are looking for something. Now, does that mean we need to get caught up in looking at our horoscopes and involved in Zoroastrianism and things like that? Absolutely not. But we're also to keep in mind that God is Lord of all creation. And God can use his creation, even these things that some people use in a very demonic fashion. And and that may have been the case even with these wise men, these magi from the east. But if they were honest, they would tell you that the general revelation of God, the God of Daniel, the one living true God, can lead people General revelation, I'm talking about the stars, I'm talking about the planet, I'm talking about the oceans and the mountains. General revelation can lead us to a place to where we are hungry for special revelation, meaning something that is absolute, something that is not subjective in our interpretation, namely the Word of God, the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the written Word, the Bible itself. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 say, uh, says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the stars proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Romans chapter 1 says that those who reject the gospel are without excuse because even in creation, God is revealing himself to man. But general revelation doesn't give us enough information to be saved. That's where we need special revelation, the person of Christ and the Word of God. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, but it's the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So we must come to a place like these wise men where the general revelation causes us to ask about special revelation. So they came on the scene. And they begin asking about more specific, special revelation. And so they're they're saying, we saw the star in the east. We've come to worship him. What does Herod do? He assembles the chief priests, the scribes, the people of the people, and he asks them, these were the scholars. These are the ones who knew where Messiah was to be born. These are the ones who had the special revelation of God. The Old Testament, this morning in our life group, we looked at verse after verse after verse that points 
to Messiah coming when he would come and that he would come and be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And so they answered accordingly. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written. You, Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2 says, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the leaders of Judah because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. So here they are seeking. Maybe they had heard from Jeremiah's prophecy in Babylon many years ago, passed down by tradition. Seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Now here's what's interesting about this story. The ones who had the facts the ones who had the special revelation, the ones who had the truth, they didn't say, oh, wow, you saw his star? Man, you, you, you're seeing this word, and now you see the star. And they didn't say, we're going with you. They stayed. The wise men went, but the ones who had the truth didn't come to a place of the adoration of the king. You know what that tells me? That tells me there are a lot of people who know a lot of facts about Jesus but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I I can see it in faces every Sunday as I look across this congregation. There are some of you that want more truth, but it may not necessarily lead to more adoration with your lifestyle. A a worship team can stand before you and invite you to, to adore the King of kings and Lord of lords, and there's a blankness, there's an emptiness And we desire so much for you to come to know and love and adore the Messiah that you know a lot of facts about, but we want you to know him intimately and personally, to adore him with all of your heart, to love him. And so then they bring these gifts, beginning in verse 9, we read about these gifts fitting for a king. After hearing this, they went on their way. There it was, the star. Some believe that this was a supernatural created star in the earth's atmosphere that was leading them. Others believe that it was a study in astronomy that led them to a specific alignment of the stars. And you can see different theories concerning that. And some of them are quite amazing when you go and you look at that. Now you can look it up on YouTube. And some amazing uh, things were taking place in, in astronomy at this time. And some believe that it's a combination of the two, that that led them to a specific supernatural literal star within our environment that they could see. But either way, it was a miracle, and it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw it, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, remember this is not still in the stable, this is not at the original nativity scene, they saw the child with Mary, mother, Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with these three gifts that remind us of who he was and what he was all about. Gold speaks to the royalty of Jesus, that he was born to be the king of the Jews. And when Jesus comes again, he will come as king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee will bow. You can bank on it in heaven and under heaven. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone one day will recognize Jesus Christ as king. But this first coming made a way for me and for you and for all those who will by faith follow him to make him the king of our hearts, the king of our very lives. And we should be a model for the rest of the world what the lordship of Christ is all about. But he would come as a king. 
Secondly, they gave incense. Now, incense was used in the temple. The priests would use the incense to offer up like a, an aroma of uh, an offering, a, a sweet-smelling uh, representation of the prayers of the saints and the prayers of the priests. And so Jesus would come to be our high priest, our great high priest. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with the feelings of our infirmities. You're going through a difficult time. I may not be able to say, I know how you feel. But I can promise you this, Jesus knows how you feel. We cannot, uh, he, he, could, he was like us, but yet he was without sin, the Hebrews says. He was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. But we can now come to him as our great high priest and find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so he was a king. He was a priest. The whole book of Hebrews tells us, man, he was superior to all the priests that had ever existed in every ritual that they ever did. But they also brought myrrh, which was used for embalming the dead. We see that in John chapter 19, that uh, Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus were going to make sure that Jesus was embalmed with, or at least surrounded by myrrh, these spices. And so, here they are, worshiping him, saying, here is Messiah. We sang it earlier, right? Here comes heaven. They're adoring him. We don't know how much they truly embraced the full gospel of Jesus Christ. But it was interesting that those who had the word and had the facts about his coming couldn't come to this place of adoration. But these magi, Powerful men from the east came and bowed down and presented gifts adoring Jesus. Have we come to that place in our lives? I read about a British socialite, an older lady who had never missed any party that was an important party in the land and and she was beginning to have fading eyesight. And so she was invited to one particular party, and she was talking to another lady that she didn't see very well. And she was kind of talking flippantly, and she was saying some things that she probably later regretted saying. And she would talk about politics, and she would talk about material things that really didn't matter. And she noticed a particular diamond that the lady was wearing that she was talking to. This lady happened to be Queen Elizabeth, but she wasn't wearing her crown. And when she noticed that it was Queen Elizabeth, she goes, I am so sorry, Your Majesty. As she stepped back and curtsy, she said, I am so sorry I didn't recognize you without your crown. Jesus came into this world. Many of us don't recognize him. Many in the world at this time did not recognize him because they were looking for him to come in royalty wearing a crown. And instead, he came in human flesh. He came as a baby, laid in a feeding trough. Oh, later the Magi would find him in a humble home. 
the Hebrew scholars, the scribes, the leaders of that day didn't recognize him without his crown. Today, I pray that people will see that we recognize him, that we acknowledge him as our Savior. We can give Herod a hard time this morning, but I am reminded that I can be a cynic and a skeptic just like Herod. I can struggle with doubts and fears. And I can see that I am a sinner in need of His grace. This morning, I pray that you wouldn't just know facts about Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, I've I've read my Bible. I've been in Sunday school all my life. I've I've been in church. I, I know a lot of facts about Jesus. I want to know, do you adore Him? Do you find time to get on your face before Him? And maybe not with gold and frankincense and myrrh, but with your life, do you lay yourself at the altar and say, Here I am, Lord. I give you my life for salvation. I give you my life for service. And though we may celebrate the Christmas season and exchange gifts for a while, I commit and recommit my life this Christmas season to serve you, to to make you known to the rest of my family, to my friends, to my neighbors, to go where you send me. This was quite a journey these wise men took. Is God sending you somewhere? Last week we gave to missions. but I believe God wants to call up a generation of missionaries even out of our church. Does God God have a call on your life to missions? Because there are shoes waiting to be filled all the way around the world. Give him yourself completely. Give your life as a blank slate and say, here I am, Lord, all that I am in need of your grace, in need of your salvation, in need of your forgiveness. But Lord, use me as you will. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?